Now, on this Invest Talk podcast, Justin Klein listens to your questions. Starting to learn more about value stocks rather than growth stocks. You guys are saving me a, a lot of money. And provides unbiased answers. All right. Well, you're looking at historical blue chip names, and they've endured. Their brands have endured. Invest Talk. Over 42 million downloads and counting. Across America and around the world, your participation makes it unique. 888-99-CHART. At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Wednesday, June 8th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you, hearing your finance and investment questions, and giving you my straight and unbiased answers. Now, mostly be questions that drive the direction of today's podcast, podcast, but one thing I can say for sure is that today's investing situation is very different than what we've had over the past several decades, especially post the Cold War. Uh, and this is something I think is underappreciated post, cold, post the Cold War is the amount of physical commodities that went on the global market. During the Soviet Union, most of oil, resources, refined products, etc., that were produced within Russia were kept there for the good of the collective, right? That's what the Soviet Union was about. And post the, the breakup of the Soviet Union, all of a sudden, that flooded the market for many, many years, for three decades, really. And that's all changing. And so... As we enter into this new world, as long as the largest country by landmass is cut off from global business, that, change, that it changes the dynamics of global trade, global business in a big, big way. So that's something I think we all need to recognize and understand. And it's why we have higher inflation and that's likely to persist. So... You need to focus on what works in these type of markets and how it affects your portfolio. So it's my goal to help you understand the current environment that we're in and avoid the pitfalls, but it still take advantage of opportunities because there still are plenty of them. So let's get right to our first listener question now. And we're going to go to Jerry in Palo Alto. He wants to talk about fracking. Yeah, I was just wondering... Last time we had any kind of oil prices going up, there's a lot of fracking going on, and I'm not hearing anything in the financial news about fracking now. I'm curious, what's the story on that? The reason is incentives. I talked about this, I believe, last week, and I believe it was Charlie Munger that said, you show me the incentive, I'll tell you the outcome. 
And over about you know five plus years ago, most of the incentive structures for these fracking companies and the executives were around growing output. That's how they got their bonuses is how much output could you create uh, and put out there into the marketplace. And what they saw, especially over the past few years and during the COVID crisis, is that it's not about output. In fact, the vast majority of capital that was deployed over the first, call it five to eight years of the fracking craze, fracking kind of started picking up dramatically around 2011, 2012. It was value destructive because it was just putting rigs in place in order to pull oil and natural gas out of the ground because that's what the executives were incentivized to do. What has shifted now, the vast majority of these fracking companies have their incentive structures for the executives is to favor profitable endeavors, cash flow, dividends. And that's how these these uh, CEOs and executives are getting their bonuses. And so that's why you're not seeing a dramatic increase in, in activity and, and, and uh, production. Now, is it increasing slowly? Yes. But executives are a lot more careful before deploying their CapEx into new production to make sure that it's ve they're very confident that this will turn into a cash flow positive, earnings positive endeavor for the broader business and for shareholders. And that's really the big difference here. And I think it's underappreciated. It's not discussed enough. Frankly, it's, it's probably better, better for the environment, but worse for the cost of energy and better for shareholders. So that's why you want to be invested in these companies now, as opposed to during most of the first five, eight years of, of the fracking craze. It was a terrible time to be a, 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 a shareholder in fracking companies because they were deploying capital often at negative returns. And you never want to be in businesses like that. So hope that gave you a bit of clarity there. Now, my focus point today is driven by this question. What is stagflation? And it is, it is, is it a near-term probability? We're going to look at what the World Bank said recently. And because they slashed their global growth forecast and warned about stagflation similar to the 70s. So we're going to dig into what they're saying about not just here in the U.S., but developed and developing economies around the world. I also want to touch a bit on the ARC funds and where cash flows are headed. I, I gave an update about a month or two ago, and we have a new update over the past month of how much money was flowing in or out. I don't want to. Get, I don't want. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to give it away, but I want to touch on that because it's important to understand where the sentiment is, to know whether we're near a bottom in that space. Also, the SEC is looking to change payment for order flow. That is a lot of the way that Robinhood and a lot of the big brokers that have turned to zero commission trading are making money. And the big question is that better for the average trader, average investor. And the brokers would argue yes, but the SEC is starting to argue no and trying to think about pu pushing through some trades to even the playing field. 
Also want to touch on commercial property and you're seeing that slow down dramatically. And then lastly, Tiger Global. This is a huge hedge fund and they're down 50% this year. And we're going to touch on why well, yeah, down 52%. Pretty crazy. One of the largest, they managed $23 billion at the end of last year. And we're going to dig into the numbers there and what mistakes they ultimately made with their portfolios and their client assets. But let's dig into the market today. I want to hear from you. 8899 chart, 8899-2. No, 88, sorry, 888-992-4278. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Now, Let's take a look at the market. We had a modest down day. Uh, S&P was down 44 points, a little over 1%. We had the NASDAQ that was down 88 points, about two thirds of 1%. The NYSE, the broadest indices, that was down 175 points, a little over 1%. So after a very a nice push higher yesterday, uh, to, especially the close, we closed near the highs, really the highest levels since... Geez, what, what's the date on this? Since, give me that date. There you go. The 5th of May. We had a nice little pullback here, but still closed above yesterday's low. So overall, the short-term kind of choppy bullish pattern remains intact. We do have a big, everyone's kind of talking about the Friday CPI report that's going to come out and whether that's going to indicate that inflation is, is cooling or accelerating or staying the same and how that might pretend to policy, especially past the next two Fed meetings. The next two Fed meetings kind of locked in, markets priced in 50 basis points for the next two, but it's that September meeting and wondering, are they going to continue with 50 basis points? Are they going to pause? Are they going to do 25 basis points? Uh, a lot will depend on how the economic figures evolve over the next really two months and CPI and inflation figures are a big part of that. So uh, certainly something the market's going to be keeping an eye on and we'll probably react to in some way. I still think we have upside for week, week and a half or so. Uh, and then we get into true QT where the Fed is truly shrinking their balance sheet and that's about midway through the month. Now we're moving into a break and my Invest Talk phone lines are open for you. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor 888-99-CHART.
one of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Let's go talk to Taylor in Philadelphia asking about the wash rule. Hey, Justin, how's it going? Um, my question is if I have two brokerage accounts, you know, a Roth IRA and a traditional brokerage account with the same broker, and I am losing on a position in my traditional account, if I sell it to harvest the tax loss, can I buy it in the Roth IRA without incurring the loss of that tax harvest? Uh, let's see. That's a good question. <laughs> this is a CPA question, so I'm not really good at uh, those these type of um, questions, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't see why that should trigger a wash rule. Let's see. Ah, here we go. This is, uh, I just found it. Yeah. So it would disallow the loss. Yes. So you have to not own that particular uh, position for 30 days. So you cannot sell your investment for a loss in one account and buy it back in any type of other account, such as an IRA. Okay. So that would be disallowed. Now, what you can do, this is what I always say, is buy something similar. Almost every company especially you get larger cap names, there's a similar company to own and you can own that similar company for that 30 days. For example, Exxon, I always use Exxon and Chevron, obviously very similar businesses, going to have very similar correlations, especially they're the largest holdings within uh, a lot of the energy indices uh, and, and energy funds, XLE, et cetera. You can think of AT&T and Verizon. There's going to be some company that is very highly correlated to that one and just switched out that way. Okay. Um, so that's the way I would think about trying to still gain exposure, take that loss. Uh, but yeah, gain keep exposure to the particular name. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot back to the Vestock voice bank for a question that came in earlier, uh, from New York on 888 chart. Hi, how's it going? Duncan from New York. Again, thank you for everything that you do. I actually made a couple of bucks moving into the energy sector that you guys have been recently talking about. Thank you. I just have two quick questions. One, now since I'm dollar cost averaging into the energy sector, when do you think I should start taking profits? It seems like the energy sector is not going to slow down anytime soon, and I just don't want to chase gains. And which stock would you really prefer, Oxy, O-X-Y, Occidental Petroleum, or Chevron? I'm just thinking about trying to put some money into one of those things. Uh, thank you very much, and have a great day. All right, this is a common question I'm getting now because obviously a lot of uh, our listeners had have followed us into the energy trade, and that's done very, very well. And it's getting a, become a bloated part of most people's portfolios, especially because I think the uh, oil sectors up about 70% this year. So yes, seven zero seventy 70% so far this year, whereas most other sectors are actually down on the year. So if everything else is kind of flat or down and it's up 60, 70, 80% on your positions, then it, it becomes a much bigger part of your overall portfolio. So the question is, when do you cut? Now, 
I always think of it, you always look at it from an asset allocation perspective, make sure it's not more than 20, probably 25% max is what you want in any one particular sector. Uh, so depending on your risk tolerance level, if you're more moderate risk, 20%, if you're high risk, 25%, but you definitely don't want to be any more than that. So think about it that way as opposed to individual positions. Um, now, if I'm looking at Oxy versus Chevron, you know, longer term, Chevron's going to have a more diversified business. It's going to have uh, more consistent profitability. You know, in down oil markets, it has other things to uh, make money on. We're Occidental straight EMP. So, depends on your risk level, but I like both. Reading to a break, so give me a call at 888 chart Invest Talk is here to help. And when you download the free Invest Talk podcasts, don't forget to rate and review. The phone lines are open 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today is driven by this question What is stagflation and is it a near term probability? Well, if you ask the World Bank, they will say that, yes, we are in a stagflationary environment, very similar to the 1970s. Now, they expect global growth to drop to about 2.9% this year from 5.7% last year, and lower, much lower than their 4.1% growth target for the year that they published in January. So this is kind of a, almost a mid-year update here, halfway through the year. They're, they're downgrading it by over a percentage point. Now, they said that we're entering what might be a protracted period of feeble growth and elevated inflation. That's their, their quote there. And they expect growth in advanced economies to drop to 2.6% from 5.1% last year, and then dropping again next year to 2.2%. And emerging markets to fall to 3.4% growth from 6.6% last year. And... Remember, emerging markets are where most of the economic growth worldwide comes from. And, and from 2011 to 2018, emerging markets had average annual growth of about 4.8, whereas de developed markets were closer to 2%. And emerging markets are more typically more reliant on importing uh, energy and, and foodstuffs. And when those prices of those things go up, that's means that means less money for actually doing important things within the economy, growing their economies. You know, when your average person that is relatively poor in global standards is being hit with higher energy prices, higher food prices, they either, they either uh, revolt. Uh, typically, that's when you see a lot of, when you see a lot of social unrest, and that can be a big, big issue. Um, so they're seeing a lot of parallels between the 70s and now. Uh, there's similar things like supply side disturbances, right? Less energy being exported around the world, uh, weakening growth and 
emerging markets facing tighter monetary policy. Remember when interest rates go up and the dollar gets stronger, that makes it harder for emerging markets to repay their debts that are typically denominated in dollars. And that's why monetary policy or, or, or stronger dollar tends to be bad for uh, emerging markets. Now there's some differences between the 70s and that is really the, the strength in the dollar right now. And a lot of that has to do uh, with Remember in the 70s, we just went off the gold standard. So the dollar was actually declining and that was increasing the price of raw commodities. And the balance sheets of major US institutions, financial institutions are actually pretty strong today. Whereas in the past, they, you know, in the 70s, they weren't nearly as strong. So they urge policymakers to address obviously the issue in Ukraine, not much they can do about that. But they said they counter the spike in oil and food prices. And the issue with that is how do they do that? It, you know, it, that? It's great that you're thinking about it, but clearly their policy prescriptions so far have not done anything to solve the problem. So that's what we're seeing uh, around the world. And basically they're saying that this is, this is a trend that is still continuing, the slowing of the global economy, the stagflationary environment, although uh, inflation, like we said, is, is slowing, it's still higher than growth and that creates stagflation. Now let's swing back to the Best Talk voice mink. Here comes a question from a listener in Arizona. Let's play it now. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Art from Tucson calling about a small cap healthcare and equipment stock. It's called Meridian Bioscience Inc. And the ticker is VIVO. Wondering what you think about the company. It's a worthwhile stock. And if so, what a good buy-in point would be. Thanks. I'll listen on the podcast. All right, this is Meridian Biosciences. And unlike a lot of biotech companies, they're actually profitable. Although profits are expected to drop about 16% this year and then 16% next year. So this last year's earnings of $1.66 are supposed to moderate back to about $1.18 by next year. So that's one thing that worries me just a bit. Now it's a pretty small company, only $1.2 billion market cap. No dividend, which is not not unexpected. Then they they recently cut that actually in 2020. They did pay a dividend before, so the question is maybe that's coming back now that their business is improving. Uh, pay down looks like they paid down a little debt, so they're in a pretty good financial situation. Their long term return on equity averages around 20 percent in the 20 percent range, so I like that. And it's def the chart is definitely bullish. It's been consolidating here between about 24 and 28 over the past few months, and it looks like it's starting to break out now. Closed uh, almost at 29 dollars today. So I like the low debt. I like that it's profitable. I like the cash flow trailing 12 months, about 82 million. And it's only a $1.2 billion market cap. So uh, what they do is develop diagnostic test kits for respiratory, viral, and parasitic infectious diseases. So that's obviously what the issue here is that they were, um, they, they were boosted by COVID and the testing. And they've you know, oddly enough, they cut their dividend. You think they would increase their dividend in that case, but that makes sense why their earnings are expected to come back down. But what I like about it is that they're not reliant. There are a lot of companies that post COVID, they suddenly became profitable. They were terrible businesses. They were losing money. They were vacillating between negative and positive uh, earnings, earnings and and cash flow pre COVID, and then suddenly they're making a bunch of money. This got a boost from COVID, but it's coming back. Uh, 
back to normal. So I like it, the fact that they were pro profitable before. So I'm going to give Vivo a thumbs up. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. And of course, your calls are always welcome 24 7. Don't forget to call Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hi, Steve and Justin. This is Kevin from La Crescenta, California. Thanks again for the great shows and all the knowledge you two have been sharing. My portfolio for many years has been overweight growth and tech, but uh, I've been much more focused on value and have been investing all of the new money I've been putting into that side of the market. But I know that I made that pivot much later than I should have. You've mentioned on the show before that when people stop calling and asking about these high-growth companies and stocks, uh, that's the time to get back into them. But besides this subjective indicator, what are some events or economic signs that you'll be looking for that will make you feel like uh, growth might start to outperform the overall market again, when to shift focus again? I don't want to be late to, to make that change next time around. I appreciate it, uh, and we'll be listening for your answer on the show. Thank you. Great question and fairly simple answer. Inflation. Remember that post-financial crisis, 
the this was the period where growth stocks drastically outperformed. And it was also a period where that was dominated by what? QE. Interest rates very, very low in order to fight disinflation or deflation. And that's really what the financial crisis was, was a huge deflationary shock as uh, just business activity across the board ground to a halt, business or banks stopped, stopped lending, and there was a lot of uncertainty and obviously bankruptcy, uh, people, personal bankruptcy, uh, foreclosing on homes, etc. And that's a huge deflationary shock. What you have now is the opposite, an inflationary shock. And the question is, how long will that inflationary shock persist? And, and historically, it takes a while for the central banks to really get the grasp on inflation and get it back down to normal to, to, to reasonable levels around their target, 2%. And so I think that's going to be the same for the foreseeable future. And I think for a long while, because like I said at the top of the show, this is a new multipolar world where assets and commodities and goods and services aren't as free flowing as they once were. And when things get harder to get done, the, the supply of them goes down, whether that's good or service or commodity, and the price of them goes up. And so while there will be over the next 10, 15, 20 years, a likely likely periods where growth outperforms, that'll probably be once again, when inflation truly moderates for an ex for a period of time. Now, how sticky will a disinflationary environment be in this new multipolar world? Probably not that sticky. And so will there be a turn? Yeah, but it'll be probably a short period, short lived period. And so you want to be positioned for that because the, that those periods could last a year, two, three years. But overall, I just don't see a world where we return to pre-COVID labor levels in China, as well as here in the U.S., where we are now undersupplied when it comes to labor because of the mass baby boomer retirement. Same with China. China has reached peak population because of their one child policy. And what does that mean? Accelerated labor inflation. And that means your goods that you want produced cheaply are no longer going to be produced as cheap. And frankly, if geopolitical tensions continue to rise, they're probably going to be needed to be produced more regionally. And so it's good to be on the lookout for that. But it's really going to be about when the Fed truly pivots into looser monetary policy. And that's not going to be their general thought process for I think a long period of time. Once again, this is a new era. And so it's about hard assets over intangible assets. So glad you're looking out for it, but don't get too tied to it. They think that you're going to have this another 10-year run like you had post-financial crisis in growth over value. Probably be short-lived.
Okay. Speaking of that, you kind of talked a little bit about when sentiment kind of is thrown in the towel on the growth uh, side of the market. Let's talk a little about the ARC funds, ARC. That's down about 54% so far this year. And it's been one of the most high pro profile victims of aggressive, aggressively tight monetary policy, or at least jawboning from the Fed to get rates up. Now, obviously, ARC is focused on companies that are quote unquote disruptive. And some of the companies, many of the companies don't turn a profit consistently and are valued for very, very strong growth. Now that's come down. A lot of the froth has been knocked off that market, but certainly not all of it. And a lot of investors are saying, well, it's down a lot. How much further could it go down? That's what people are still saying to themselves. And like I said before, the market's a pendulum. And we might have moved a lot of the way towards the middle of that pendulum in the growth side, but we're not even we're not near the, the middle and over to the oversold area in general. Okay, the S&P technology sector trades at 21 and a half times future earnings 21 and a half. That's still kind of rich. Now it's down from about 29 in September of 2020. But still on the rich side. And a lot of people in this space, you know, they're invested in Dogecoin, NFTs, SPACs, etc. And they focus on the story more than the fundamentals. Why? Who knows why? Maybe it gives them a warm, fuzzy feeling. But the end, the end of the day, it's about investing in companies that are truly good businesses long term, not just good stories. And investing them at reasonable prices and vast majority of these went far beyond anything of reason. And as the caller just said, when things finally peak out or on the downside will be when sentiment is everyone throws in the towel. The problem is it's not happened yet. Investors continue, continue to put money in. They put more than $1.3 billion into the fund this year. And 500 million in the past month. So of that 1.3, nearly a third, over a third, excuse me, over a third of that has come just in the past month. And it has rallied a bit <laughs> over the past month, but you're talking from very low levels. And technically, it's not even above the 50-day moving average. Still in a downtrend. So just a quick update there that in no way, shape or form have the growth investors thrown in the towel. And remember the saying, what is a stock that's down 90%? Well, it's a stock that's down 80% and then goes down 50% from there. So don't think because something's down 70, 80%, even 90% that it can't go down more. It can't. Okay. Let's go to James in Georgia, looking at U.S. Steel. Hey, Justin. Hey. How are you doing? Um, doing well. Doing well. Are you looking show. to buy U.S. Steel? Uh, you own it? Um, so I had a question about three different ones. Okay. Um, I'm looking at them, seeing which one, like you would think, would be a better uh, okay. choice to buy. Okay. It's um, X, which is U.S. Steel. 
uh-huh. uh, SPLD, uh-huh. Steel Dynamics, and um, NUE, which is Nucor. Okay. Uh, I've actually looked at these three fairly recently, and U.S. Steel was definitely behind Steel Dynamics and Nucor. And Steel Dynamics and Nucor were kind of neck and neck, to be honest with you. Um, these, this is a space that we're looking to potentially add to because of potential infrastructure spending, the shift towards more clean production of steel, uh, and regionalized production of just raw materials in general and Nucor and STLD certainly have the best track records when it comes to profitability and management, um, and trade it similar multiples as as a US steel, whereas US steel, uh, it's a little bit more all over the place. And I don't I didn't like that. Um, so once again, NUE and and US and, and, and still dynamics were kind of neck and neck. Uh, if I had to pick one of those two, it would probably be steel dynamics, but it's it's splitting hairs. I think both of them are are pretty solid. Um, now the technicals, we started a kind of in, uh, a modest downturn recently. Uh, so I would be, you know, we're pay, being a little bit patient, but steel dynamics and new core are on the top. I would X us steel out. Thanks for the call. And no, no pun intended. Cause the, uh, steel or uh, us steels ticker symbol is X anyway. Um, well, like I mentioned on Monday, summer is just around the corner. I know a lot of schools are getting out this week and a lot of people are excited for the summer, summer vacations, summer trips, just generally not having to deal with school and enjoying the warm weather. I know it's here in Laguna. It's a little gloomy right now, but it should be uh, nice by Friday and moving into the weekend. We're excited for that. But if you don't know, Summer is also a time where there's a lot of volatility, typically, in markets. And with the Fed tightening, with interest rates on the rise, and the dollar remaining relatively strong, well, that means that volatility is probably here to stay. Volatility is trending higher. Now, it's been down over the past few weeks, but the trend still is to the upside, which means that you need to pay attention every day and you need to understand whether your portfolio is positioned to take advantage of this market. Cash in an inflationary environment is not always the answer. In a deflationary environment, oftentimes it is. In an inflationary environment, you just need to be in the things that are benefiting from inflation and away from things that are that are that have declining prices in, a, in an inflationary environment. Right, where their business hurt is hurt from higher inflation. And so if you need help understanding whether your portfolio is set to succeed or set to fail, well, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, based in Irvine, California, where we provide unbiased guidance, both on and off air. And we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. And we provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, or go to meeting. You can send us a message through investtalk.com if you want to set that up or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to speak to you for a short period of time. Just see where you're at, see how we can help you in any way. 
The sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. This is Invest Talk. Let's keep things going. This question came in earlier from Central California on 88899 chart. Hi, my name is Gabriel Garza, and I'm calling from Hanford, California, right here in the Central Valley. And I had a question on ticker symbol S as in snake, D as in dog, SD, Sandrid Energy. I was wondering, I was going over the fundamentals. They look pretty good, pretty strong. And I'm wondering if this company has more room to run. And I think it's very undervalued right now. Anyways, thanks for doing the show. Appreciate everything, the knowledge you're giving us, and appreciate the call. Bye-bye. All right, this is Sandridge Energy, and this was very undervalued. We bought this for clients. Our first purchase for clients was around $3 and change. This was back, when was it, three bucks? Yeah, that was in April of last year. So a little over a year ago. And now it's at $28.12. And we bought it three and change. So it's definitely been one of our better trades. It is a natural gas producer. And it was dirt cheap. It was so ridiculously cheap then that we were just we were kind of dumbfounded by it. But sometimes you just you say, what's wrong with it? Um, but sometimes the market just throws the baby out the bathwater. And that's kind of what happened in the energy space. And Sand Ridge remained undervalued for a long period of time. Now, it's now at 28. Uh, it's still, I think, one of the better natural gas plays. It's not as hedged as a lot of other natural gas producers. And so that's why it has such great performance as of late. Um, it's a bit overbought. I think the whole space is a bit overbought. But on pullbacks, back into the low 20s, that 28 and change now, I still think it's a good buy. Um, so low 20s, high teens, I would pick up Sandridge. We still own it for clients, and it's one of our largest positions. Now, this is Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for, I'm excited to help you answer your questions, help you navigate these difficult markets. Remember, it's not just about cash or invested. It's about invested in real assets versus intangible assets. And for the last decade plus, it's been about intangible assets. But when you have geopolitical concerns, you have inflation, it's about how you can, you know, owning the means of production today, things that you can that can produce things for you and customers today, okay? And Sandridge and a lot of those hard asset companies are the ones that are going to continue to perform well. So I'm here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom and our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do it right now at 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Go talk to Ritesh in San Jose. Let's talk about ETFs. Yeah, hi. Uh, first of all, thanks, uh, Justin and Steve, uh, for uh, doing everything for our small investors. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, I had a question about uh, the commodities ETF, uh, COM. Um, trying to get into the commodity space, uh, looking at different ETFs, I came across this. Um, 
wanted to understand this. I was looking at the morning star the other day for this uh, commodity uh, uh, tracker. It seems like that they were having all of their uh, holdings as 99.9% cash. So, uh -huh. and it's it's in the commodity space. I'm trying to understand um, like how does the CDF work or any other ETFs. Uh, uh, ways to get into the commodity space. Um, is it too late actually to get into the commodity space right now? Because Fed is trying to try to get the inflation under control. So has the boat already sailed on it or well, I don't think the vote is sale. They still think commodity prices in general are going to trend higher. Now, do they have a near-term pullback over the summer as the markets grip with a slowing global economy? I think that's certainly possible. But, you know, longer term, I still think commodity prices go up because of supply constraints, both out of uh, Russia as well as ESG and um, lack of uh, investment from corporations, etc. So I don't think it's too late. Now, the question is, how do you gain exposure? I rather own individual companies. Uh, when what you're talking about C on COM, this is the direction auspice broad commodity strategy. Now, I'd have to dig into the details. But most commodity funds like this are not using individual companies, they're buying futures on the commodity space. Now, the big issue with that is that it costs money to roll those futures, and it's it's not an, that efficient of a way to own commodities. Um, now, once again, I have to dig into this particular one. I haven't heard of it. I'd have to understand what type of broad commodity basket they're buying, what's their weighting, do they have a, a more active strategy or not, and their expense ratio on this is uh, is let me see is 0.72%. And if you look at the DBC, the Invesco Deutsche Bank Commodity Tracking Fund, that's actually a little higher, so 0.85%. So it's actually a little lower than DBC. Um, so I would be, honestly, I, I just like to own the individual companies. Um, so I would own like a natural resource ETF if you're trying to get broad exposure to companies in the natural resource space. So that's going to give you you know, uh, copper miners and, and iron ore miners and um, gold and silver miners, etc. So you're going to get a broad swath of exposure, you know, you're going to get energy uh, producers as well. So that's the way I would gain exposure to the space if you're trying to just buy an ETF, I wouldn't use a COM or a DBC, I would rather own the underlying companies. Thanks for the call. Now, lastly, let's touch a bit on the commercial property space. And Property sales were about $39 billion in April, but that was down 16% year over year. And mainly this is driven by higher interest rates. The decline followed 13 straight months of increases in property sales. And that was after a big tank in, in sales post pandemic, right? But starting in late 2020, investors looked at low interest rates, uh, rebounding economy, and demand for things like multifamily, uh, industrial properties, those did very, very well, mainly through 2021, and into this year. And certain sectors, really, those sectors really drove up um, sales overall, while office buildings underperformed over that time, because of remote work. And I think that's something that's going to continue. But higher interest rates have suddenly hit the broad commercial 
property space. Hotels, office buildings, senior housing, and industrial properties recorded drops in sales last month. Retail properties, they were up in the month of April, and apartment sales were also uh, fairly strong. Uh, and so that's the, that's the trend here. Higher interest rates are starting to have an impact on the real estate market in general, and not just the, the retail side, not just the office market, but other parts of the commercial property space as well. Something to watch out for because that was another aspect of the financial crisis that really drove uh, problems. Um, so I wanted to highlight that and give you an update within that space and the impact of higher rates. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And it's official. The Invest Talk downloads count has exceeded 42 million thanks to you and your friends. It keeps growing. So thanks for being a part of it. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.